Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, uh, so Genesis 18. Last week we talked about Abraham and Sarah, um, how God told them they would have a child within the year. Um, and then this is like the same, the same situation. Um, the, the, the three visitors are there, and then they have this conversation. It's actually a continuation of that um, that kind of time with God. Um, it says in uh, 16, when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? This conversation continues because God says, of course I'll do what's right. I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there are 50 righteous people. And Abraham says, okay, okay, awesome. What if there's 45? And God says, okay, for the sake of 45, I will not destroy the city. And then he goes, what about 40? Okay, what about 30? And he gets it down all the way to 10. And God says, okay, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy the city. Um, and just so you know, like, uh, for them to have a, a, a church in, in Israel um, or to have a little tabernacle, to have a little meeting, they usually um, had groups of 10. So it's almost like, is there, is there a single church um, there? But God says, I will not destroy it if there are 10 righteous people there. Um, and I love how God opens up this conversation. He opens it up. He says, shall I tell, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Shall I hide from you what I'm about to do? Do you want to hear what I'm about to do. He's about to reveal a little of himself to Abraham if Abraham wants to hear it. What if God said, should I tell you, do you want to know what I'm about to do? I mean, our first thought would be like, well, why, why would you not want to tell me? What's, it's bad, isn't it? It's bad. But he's like, God's like, should I tell you my thoughts on this? Do you want to know what the Lord God the, the God of righteousness, the God of justice, the God of mercy and grace. Do you want to know what I think on this subject or not? Do you want to know my mind on this? Do you want to know what I'm about to do? Or would you rather live in ignorance? Would you rather live in ignorance and not know what I'm about to do? Do we really, we ask ourselves, do we really want to know God? Do we want to know the mind of God? So many people come across things in the Bible and they say to themselves, mm, I, don't know, I don't like this. I don't like that he said this. I don't, mm, I don't know if I agree with what God said or what God did there. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if I want to follow a God who's like this. Or at the very least, let's just, let's just go to another chapter. That was Old Testament. Things have changed, right? And we're like, maybe, maybe, maybe I don't want to follow this God, or maybe I want to follow the God of my own making, and I'll pick different passages, right? Do we really want to know 
what God says on this because it's in his word. It's like, what does God says on this, say on this? What does he think about this? And when we read it, we say, well, that's what God says. That's what God thinks. And this is one of those passages where God reveals what he thinks. In this passage, we see something that's rare in scripture and rare in our lives if you walk with God. He gives Abraham the why. He tells him the why. I mean, how often does God do things and it's great, but we don't often get to understand why did you do that? Why are you doing this? And here, God gives the why. He tells him his reasoning behind his decision. And I think it makes it that much more important of a passage to study because the why is listed. There is a warning here. The why is given. And if we really want to know God, to know his mind, to know his thoughts on things, then we have to study the entire scripture. But we have to begin with the knowledge, always begin with the knowledge that he is good that he is just, and we can trust him. And then we can take him at his word. We can take him at his word when we trust him. We know that he's good. We know that he's just. We can trust him. And we can see that Abraham's kind of like, ah, are you good? Can I trust you? You can see it in the question. He says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? I I thought you were the judge of all the earth. Everything you've shown me, you've been just. Will the judge of all the earth do right? Can I trust you to do what's right? Can we trust God to do what's right? And the answer is yes. So God tells Abraham, okay, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. For the outcry is great and their sin is grievous. Their sin is so grievous, which means causing great sadness. Their sin is causing great sadness. We have to remember that God takes, doesn't take any joy in destroying, right? He doesn't take any joy, but he's just. He's just. When my kids are in trouble, uh, well, even last night, Ivy, who, who is our, um, got a lot of spunk. Uh, Ivy's the one we say, hey, don't get out of bed. And two minutes later, she's like, what's up? It's me. I'm out of bed. They, they stayed. Like even, even like Aurora will be like, you're going to get in trouble. I'm staying in bed. And she's like, I don't, don't get me wrapped up in you, Ivy. And Ivy came out. And I was like, I, and I was like Ivy, if you come out, you're going to get in trouble. And then sure enough, she came out. And she's got this little smile. And she's like, hi. But she's like, she like darts her eyes back and forth at, at, at you like, like, how's this going to go? And I was like, Aurora. And I was like, Ivy, you're in trouble. I, I, don't, I take no joy in it. You know, I'm like, really, I want to sit here and watch this show. And now I have to pause it. And deal with you. No, but that's not how God's doing. But you're like, you, you don't take any joy in it. If you, I don't take any joy in doing it. I'm like, I wish you wouldn't have brought it to this point. I tried to tell you. I didn't want you to bring it to this point. I've dealt with people, because uh, I used to work in psych uh, with teens, and, and there were uh, people who would like have their kids, and their kids would have gotten into drugs, and they were adults, and they didn't have anywhere to stay, and the parents would let them stay. But then they started bringing these things in the house. And they were like, I've got other kids here. I don't know what to do. And I'd be like, well, you have to, I, I want to kick them out of the house, but they're my child. And I, and, but it's like, now they're bringing the trouble to the kids. Now it's being passed on. Now, now this, this, this is passed on to other people and it's causing death and it's causing destruction. And so I have to kick my own kid out of the house. It's so sad. No one's ever like, yeah. I'm so excited. I don't know what's going to happen to him. You know, there's a love. And there's this love 
God doesn't take any joy in, in destroying. When he says, man, the outcry has been great, the outcry has been happening, and God constantly is like, change your ways, change your ways. We see it with Nineveh. But he's like, these sins are so great. Now remember, before the whole earth, the sins were so great, he flooded the earth. He's like, all right, we got to start over to butt this family. So, so, it's been a lot of progress. Now it's just an area, you know. But he's like, I've got I've to cut this off. You will lead others astray. This can't continue. This can't continue. But God knows that Lot is there. And that's why he brings it up, because he knows Abraham's heart. He knows Abraham loves Lot. And he, he knows when God says, I'm, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, that Abraham's thought is, but Lot is there. And I just picture this, like, this like, look between them, that Abraham's look is like, but Lot is there. And God's look is like, I know. I know. That's why we're here. That's why I'm having this conversation with you. Because Lot is there. That's where he is. So let's see what happens to Lot. In uh, 19, we're going to just read 1 through 3. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. So like the gateway of a city, a lot of times um, there, was a, there was a market there. A lot of people hung out the gate. They, they did, um, that's where they administered justice, where they had court cases because people were around. So it was like there's, there's witnesses. So there's a lot of activity at the gate. So it would be a natural place for Lot to be. It's not like Lot was just standing there by himself outside the gate waiting for these people. He's there probably doing business, you know, um, playing dice, doing something. Um, so... But look at the way that he interacts with these angels. They show up, and he's like, hey, y'all should leave. And, they're, and then they're like, oh, we're going we're gonna to stay here. And he's like, okay, we'll, we'll stay with me. And you can just kind of feel the anxiety in Lot because he knows, he knows where he is. He knows he's living in sin. He knows the filth that surrounds him. He's like, no, no, you can't even think for a second about, well, why is he living here? Why is he living here? It's like, don't even think about coming in this city. Are you crazy? Don't, don't go in the square. Like, why is he even there? He knows that he's living in sin. He knows where he's living. He knows where he's living. And that, aren't we kind of like that with God sometimes? We're like, sure, God, come on in. Come on in. Come on and see the house. Come on and see the house, Lord. Look over here. Hmm, look at that. I clean this area. Look at this area. The front area. It's like when, when we clean our house for guests, you know? And then they're like, I'm just going to go over here to this room. And like, Not that room. That's where everything is. That's where everything is. Right there. Um, I, once when we went over to some friend's house, and um, they're not here. So uh, they don't go here. Um, so, and uh, they had this guest bathroom, which was right off the side. And um, it was like the natural place to go. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go wash my hands for dinner. I walk in, and like, there's like pots and pans stacked <laughs> high, this high that are dirty. And I was like, oh, they put all the dirty dishes in here. You know what I mean? Like, so, and I was like, oh. Now I've got to turn around and walk out, and we have to have that look of like, yeah. But Lot's there. I know. I know. I saw Lot. Um, but that's how we are with God. We're like, we're like, come in, look at these areas, but I don't want you to see this. Just, or maybe like, God, just spend a short time with me. 
oh, I want to spend time with you. Let's go to your house. We'll be there an hour and then back to what I'm doing. You stay out of my business. I'll stay out of your business for the week. Just a short time with you, God. And so Lot is trying to like spend a short time with these guys here. It's so, so much so that he makes unleavened bread. He's hurrying them out. There's no time for the yeast to rise, okay? Here's some crackers. Eat it. Go. Get out of here. They're like, can I have some water? This is really dry. And he's like, no, no time for water. You got to get out of here. But, but let's compare that with what Abraham did last week. Abraham waited on God. Abraham was like, make a ton of bread. Let, go get the finest calf and take it from its mother and slaughter it. And, um, and, like, and let's wait. And let, let's wait on the Lord. And he waited on the Lord. He wanted to spend time with the Lord. Where Lot is like, hurry these messengers of God out. And Abraham is like, spend time in my camp. I want you to spend time in my camp. But Lot's like, well, they can't see everything because he knows what they're going to see. Because we all know what sin is in our lives. We know what God will see. But there's the city, the city is so overcome with sin. There's no hiding it. There's no hiding it. And it makes its way to the house. Uh, if you'll uh, go to Genesis 19, we're going to catch up uh, in verse 4. Oh, you guys are already there. No turning. Didn't buy me any time. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them. If your Bible says so that we can know them, uh, the, the connotation is like how it said in Adam knew Eve or Abraham knew Sarah. It means to have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. And here we see in full light the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we have to understand why this is here in the Word of God. Why is this a warning to us? Especially in the times we're living in. Because is this the only sin going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? No. I'm sure there's plenty of other sin, but they make it a point to this list, list this one. Like sexual perversion gives way to more sexual perversion. Like sin and lust are ever increasing appetites for more, and the end is death. And we have to be aware, first of all, what is sin? And then once we are aware, as Christians, we have to fight sin. Look at their sexual appetites. They, they are offered two virgin girls, and they refuse them. Ah, that's not enough. That's not enough anymore. I've been there, done that. Done that, that's nothing. That, that doesn't do it for me anymore, what you're offering. And we may wonder, man, how did they get there? Maybe, maybe, maybe 10 years ago we thought, how did they get there? Um, but I can tell you, like we see it in our society. I can tell you how, how much sexual sin is in our society. Um, and, and you can boil it down and look at Sodom and Gomorrah and be like, oh, it's, it's homosexuality. But it's like, it's sexual sin. Like, look at, look at where we live now, okay? Pornography, right? We talk about sex trafficking. Oh, sex trafficking. How, how do you think sex trafficking is, is a business? Because of our appetite for sex, because of pornography. It's a billion-dollar industry. Kids see it younger and younger. We give them phones that, that, have, that have ultimate access to it, and we're like, yeah, take a look. We don't really say that, but we're not monitoring it. And, and working with youth, I'm telling you, they, look, they see it younger and younger and younger. When I was playing baseball at like eight, I like stopped playing baseball because I was like, the dugout conversations are so incredibly awful. Um, 
Yeah, so baseball, guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but, like, it's just we don't, we don't monitor. We don't keep our eyes out. And, like, seriously, do you really think that a young man who has seen hundreds of thousands of naked women is going to be satisfied with one woman for the rest of their lives? Do you really think that? When their appetite has gone past that. Their sexual appetites are too much, and we continue to see it grow. We continue to see it grow into sexual perversion because our appetites are too much. It's like two virgin girls been there, done that, and we, we allow it. And at least as Christians, we don't have our guard up. We're not watching. We're not saying, hey, this is a sin. Hey, this could, man, Pamela Anderson. Pamela Anderson, if you know who she is. We've got a, no, I'm just kidding. Um, she said, she said, she started getting teenage boys and she was like, man, Playboy is bad news because of what it's doing to my son, my sons. I'm watching my sons and I'm looking at the appetites they're developing and I don't want them anywhere near it. And you're like, man, this is someone who's like seeing, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. Now that it's in my family, now that I can see the effects, I, I can see, hey, man, we got to put a stop to this. And as Christians, we need to be on guard and we need to watch over our children. We need to watch over our children. We can't just be like, oh, yeah, here, do whatever you want to do. I'm not paying attention. I'm not watching. So let's talk about Lot offering up these girls, though, because it's kind of like, whoa, uh, he's not going to win Father Year Award anywhere. Um, but at the time, Jews would have seen this as honorable because they would have been like, man, those people are in, their ha- in his house. They're under his care, and he will take whatever uh, he needs to do. He will do whatever he needs to do, whatever's necessary to protect them. Um, but I honestly believe that Lot didn't, I mean, Lot knows where he's living. I think Lot knows they're not going to take him up on it, but at least he's like negotiating. He can be seen like by both sides, like, oh, hey, he's trying to protect us. And then the, uh, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are like, hey, uh, he, all right, he's trying to work with us here, okay? He's not, he's not all that bad, right? He's, he's willing to negotiate with us because Lot is, he's towing the line. He's towing the line between good and evil. He's trying to like be with the world and be with God at the same time, Right? He's like, hey, I'm going to make, make the angels happy and feel good. I'm going to make the people feel good. It doesn't work. You can't be in the world and be of God at the same time. A lot doesn't want to cause trouble, right? But in his heart, he wants to be accepted by the people. But in his heart, he's Abraham's nephew, and he knows better. And there's this struggle. There's a struggle within with Lot. And we see it in the next few verses. Um, in verse 9, we're going to watch this struggle in Lot's heart kind of unfold. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people was so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. So these angels who've been sent to investigate, right? You can just see, like, I mean, they have a direct communication line with God. But just imagine they have, like, CBs, you know, and they're like, yeah, that's a 
Uh, we're here. We're here, good buddy. Uh, everything's affirmative. Uh, we're uh, locked inside a house right now. The city's... Uh, God's like, yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I saw. 10-4. 10-4, good buddy. The minute Lot says, hey, hey, guys, let's, let's do something else. The minute he, like, infers for a moment that what they are doing might be wrong, because he comes out and he goes, hey, guys, don't do this. They're like, oh, you're better than us? You're better than me? Is that what you're saying? Oh, you're better than me? Right? They're, and they're like, who's this guy? Who's this guy who thinks he's better than us, this foreigner? Are you judging us? You're judging us? Right? Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that like how when you say, oh, I don't, I don't really agree with that? And we, like, we've like, we have really good, smooth ways of saying, I don't agree with things anymore. You know what I mean? We're just like, well, that's good for you. I'm, I'm, I'm like, all, all, I'm behind, and I support people who do that. I just don't do it personally. Um, and you see Lot out there like that. Like, I just, I just don't do it for myself. I would. I have nothing against it. I think it's a great thing. I know people who do it, people who do it all the time. And I love those people. Just, it's not, it's not for me. It's not for me. Right? <laughs> like, because people are like, oh, who, what, what right do you have to tell me? What right do you have to tell me? By what authority? I mean, that's why people don't want God to exist, man. Because if God exists, then what he says is true, and there's some authority, and then we have to examine ourselves. And we don't want to. We live by our own truth. We live by our own truth. We're living out our truths. It's the most moronic thing I've ever heard. Um, and so the angels handle the situation their way. They handle it, and they tell Lot, get your family members and leave. And so he goes to tell the young men who are pledged to his daughters, who I don't know how they felt about that whole situation, but, and they laugh at him. They laugh at him. They think he's joking. And them laughing at him it has an effect on him because when we read the very next verse, when angels say, can you imagine? They're like, we're going to destroy the city. Okay, get your family out. Go. And he's like, well, okay, let me go get my family. And then the next verse says, with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot again, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. So him going, he's like, all right, I'm going to do what you told me, God. I'm going to get everybody. I'm going to go. And then he tells the first people he tells, they laugh at him. The first people he tells, they laugh at him. And so what does he do? He hesitates. He hesitates. Now he's like, hmm, maybe we'll wait till dawn. We'll just see what happens. Just because two people laughed at him because they thought he was joking because he thought he didn't know what he was talking about. And so he doesn't leave right away. He doesn't heed the, heed the warning. He waits till the next day. Like, people of the world, people who do not know or follow God, they're never going to understand you. They're never going to understand why you do the things that you do. They will always think God's ways are ridiculous, that God's ways are absurd, that the rules you live by are absurd, that the way you try to raise your family is ridiculous, that, 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 that believing God created the world is stupidity because the veil has not been removed. The veil has not been removed, and so they cannot see. And it's important for us to remember that they cannot see because a lot of times we react, we get angry, and we get defensive. We, and we get mostly angry, a little bit defensive, but they can't understand. They, they don't know God. They don't know his ways. They don't know his ways. They don't know God. But, but we, so we have to be patient with them, but we also can't let it make us hesitate in our faith because they don't understand. And Lot is hesitating. Lot, Lot has just lived a life of hesitating. And let's see what happens in verse 16. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back. 
and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to them, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of. But flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zor. So we can kind of see why Lot left Abraham. We know, we know they were fighting over well water, but like he likes the city life. He likes ease. He, like com- he likes the comfort. He doesn't, he doesn't want to, he's like, they come to rescue him from the city, and he's like, please don't make me go out in the desert again. Please just listen to me, right? There's a small town. It's very small, isn't it? That's what he says. It's very small. Can I just go there? I don't want to go out to, in the wilderness, right? And, and honestly, it's, it's kind of, reminiscent of how we are as Christians, like how we become lukewarm because we're like, man, I want to be a Christian, but it isn't always easy. It isn't always easy. Telling people about Jesus can get you ostracized or looked at funny. It can definitely hurt you or your career nowadays to be a Christian. And and, and sometimes we're like, I, I, I want both. I want both. We're just like Lot. I want, I want to be a Christian, but I want it to be easy. And you cannot have both. You cannot have both. You cannot follow God and follow the world. You cannot have two masters. And it almost cost Lot his life, but for the goodness of God. In verse 23, it says, By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. So God brings about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And let's talk about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, because I know Kat is super interested in destruction. Um, so the excavation, um, they, they think they have found where this city is, um, and the excavations are revealing that there was a great prosperity until the city came to a sudden and instantaneous end in what is described as utter destruction around 3,700 years ago in the 1700s BC, which is consistent with the biblical time period. And the surrounding areas remain inhospitable for 500 years, and it's even now difficult to cultivate anything there. The, the area is high in saline and, and just dead. It's home to the world's deepest hypersaline lake, the Dead Sea, which is 10 times saltier than the ocean. And what they found in those ruins, this is like totally interesting to me. If it's not interesting to you, you can take a little mind break, and I'll tell you when you can come back. But mud brick structures completely disappeared, leaving only scorched foundations and floors buried beneath three feet of dark gray ash. The bricks showed signs of being incinerated. Pottery shards were discovered to have melted into glass, and zircon crystals were formed in the pottery, indicating they were exposed to heat in excess of 2,000 degrees, like volcanic magma. There was also evidence that mineral grains had rained down. They estimate 40,000 to 65,000 people would have been killed instantly. Even today, this region is synonymous with death. 
Uh, the Bible mentions that the cities were destroyed by fire and brimstone, which is sulfur. And the Dead Sea area is now full of asphalt and sulfur. Like even the stones there are prone to burning. The Greeks would call it like uh, lake asphalt because of the sulfur. And it was once one of the most fertile areas of land in the area. It goes along with why Lot chose it. It was a fertile piece of land. But now it's completely dead and has been dead for a long time. Now there are two theories of what happened here. Uh, some scientists believe that a meteorite exploded in the air above. Um, other people think the soil in the region, it, it, this is actually a fact, but they think this is what happened. It's prone to develop huge reservoirs of gas and oil beneath the surface. And this area is right on a tectonic uh, dep depression. So an earthquake at this place would likely have caused these pockets of oil and gas to explode. And it would have thrown it up in the air and it would have rained down. It would have come down as fiery rain. And I'm not one who needs like a scientific explanation, like a natural method God could have done things. But I, I do love when it's like when scientists are like, hey, well, it looks like something happened to the city. This is what we think. But it actually goes with what the Bible says. I love when science and archaeology prove what we already know. And either of these incidents would have created billowing clouds, which could have been seen in Mamre, where Abraham is standing when he has a clear view of the Dead Sea and sees these billowing clouds. And I wonder as he's standing there, as he's watching these billowing clouds, if he's wondering, did Lot get out? Or was God faithful and did, Lot, did God get him out? Did God get him out? Or I wonder if Abraham at this time is like, sees the smoke and he's like, thank you, Lord. You did what you said you were going to do. And I know that you will do what you told me you would do. So Lot gets out just in time, but Lot's wife looks back and turns into a pillar of salt. They're given two warnings. Don't look back and don't tarry. Don't look back and don't tarry. It's not just that lots, because I always thought, like reading this, like that she's just walking and she's like, oh, what's that? Oh, ah, you know, like she just glances. That's not, what, that's not what's happening here. She's not just glancing back. It's not just like curiosity, right? If someone was like, hey, there's going to be a huge explosion. Tons of people are going to die. Don't look. I mean, the minute someone says don't look, you're like, mm, mm. You know, that's not what's happening. It wasn't curiosity. She tarried to look in the valley. She hung back. She delayed. She delayed even more than Lot delayed. She knew what to do, but she failed to do it. She wasn't fully here, and she wasn't fully there. She tarried. And how often do we tarry near the destruction of sin, right? We see something we shouldn't. We, like, we look again right? Something we're going to give up, and then we just dabble. I'll just do it one more time, right? We like hang around. We hang around sin. We just can't put it behind us. We can't leave it behind us and walk. And by the power of Christ, we can, because I've done it, where you walk away and you're like, I'm not looking back, right? Because God changes who we are. But when Jesus shows compassion on the woman caught in adultery, because we always think, oh, he's without sin, throw the, throw the first stone. Um, and we always think that's why, you know, we use that line. But Jesus, after he shows compassion and tells her to go, he says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Turn and walk away. And she's not turning and walking away. In comparison, when I think of the word Terry, um, my mom and dad had all these little um, Christian videos on VHS that we recorded off the TV, and they recorded off the dirt. They recorded over the Dirt Bike Kid, um, and my favorite show. They had to wait to come on the Disney Channel, and I even and then I even cut out all the commercials. 
And if you were alive in that time, you know what it took to pause it during commercials to get back, to have a perfect movie, right? And so, and they had this, this Christian video, everyone, everything became that, was like, could you not tarry one hour? And I thought it was a Christian comedian named Terry. Like, you want to listen to Terry for an hour? Can you not Terry one hour? It just seems kind of goofy. Um, and then later in my 20s, and I was reading the Bible, I was like, oh, that's what that movie was. Okay, fine. It can be more important than the dirt bike kid. But in the last moments before the cross, Jesus goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and takes some disciples, but they fall asleep. And when he goes, what does he, what does he say to them? Could you not tarry one hour? Could you not tarry one hour? Could you not be with me for one hour? Could you not hang out with me for one hour? Can you not spend your time with me? Where we tarry has lasting effects not just on us, but on those we love. Right? They tarried. She tarried. She tarried near sin. She hung back. And Lot tarried and tarried. They spent their time near sin, the majority of their time. And Jesus is calling, can you not tarry one hour? Can you not spend some time with me? Can you not hang, hang out with me? Can you not be near me? And because, I mean, yes, they get out, but there's consequences for their sin. If we read um, further, there's a whole other story. Um, I'll read real quick. Lot and his two daughters left Zor and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zor. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day, the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's no man around here to give us children, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line to our father. So they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and slept with them. He was not aware of it when she lay down and when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, Last night, I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again, and you go in and sleep with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. I just think this is kind of funny. Um, they live in a cave. It's the three of them. And she's like, hey, last night, I, went in, I got dad drunk, and I went in there, and the other sister's like, yeah, I know. I sleep there. I, 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 There's there nowhere else to go. I was here. Um, so they do that. They get the father drunk that night also. Younger daughter goes in and sleeps with them, and he's not aware of it. So then they both became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He's the father of the Moabites. And the younger daughter had a son. She named him Ben-Ami. He's the father of the Ammonites of today. So even though 2 Peter 2.7 calls Lot a righteous man, we see there's consequences for his tolerance of sin. You know, maybe he got his act together, but that life he lived near sin had an effect on his wife, who tarried and died, and, like, she was mourning the loss. She was mourning the loss of sin. And we can do the same thing. We get trapped in our old sins. And then the daughters, thinking they're the last alive, um, try to keep the family line going or keep humanity going. And then the only reason this idea comes to their head is because they've been living near sin this whole time. This is, this is a normal thing in Sodom and Gomorrah. That there's a ton of sexual perversion in Sodom. So this idea, the only reason this comes into their mind is because they were living amongst this, and they, they were just getting numb to sin. Um, and I don't know if Lot is fully aware how ingrained his family was becoming in their surroundings, because sometimes we bring people near sin, and we're like, well, I'm fine. I'm not affected by it. I can do this. But we don't realize we've led other people who aren't as strong near it, and then we don't know what they're seeing. And we don't know what they're taking and what they're accepting as fact. 
And so we can see the, these consequences, right? And we also see the consequences, I don't know if you noticed, in Lot's relationship with God. Okay, Lot, if you remember, he asked God, oh, I don't want to go live in the mountains. Can I please go live in that little town? It's a small town, isn't it? And God sends him there. And then what did it say? He said he asked to go there. God said he could go there, but he doesn't trust God to not destroy it. And he said he didn't, he, he didn't feel safe there, so he left to go to the mountains. He asked God if he could go somewhere. God said yes, and then he didn't trust God to do what he said he would do. And so he went to the mountains. Because he did not trust God. He doesn't know God very well. He hasn't tarried near, near God. And look what his life becomes, okay? He didn't want to live in the mountains on his own. Where does he end up living? In the mountains, on his own. He offers his daughters up to these men, which is an awful thing. And then what ends up happening? Ironically, he does the very sin that he had offered because of, all, because of just being around sin. And even though it was unintentional on his part, where we tarry has lasting effects. Abraham waited on God. He waited a long time on God. And it wasn't always easy, but he spent time with God. And not only did it lead him to trust God, but he came to the place where he knew he could make requests of God. And he could speak openly with God. And, and because of this time spent with God, he intercedes for the life of Lot. This whole thing, Lot of it says, it says, God remembered Abraham and brought Lot out. God remembered Abraham and brought Lot out. Last week, we were talking about preparing for the work God is going to do. And preparing for the work God is going to do and the people that we're praying for in, in the world, in our town, and our families, it begins, how we prepare for God to move, it begins with tarrying with God. It begins by interceding for people with God. And as we pray for people, because we can be like, man, I pray for people all the time. But I'm like walking and I'm like, Lord, I just pray for my mom. Uh, Lord, I, But we're not really interceding. We're not spending time with God on our knees. Has anyone in the past week spent an hour with God on your knees? Has anyone say you could add up the hour spent with God over the weekend and add it up to an hour? And God just like, can you not tarry one hour? Look at all the time we spend. Can you not tarry one hour? And, and when we tarry with God, when we spend time with God, when we're praying, when we're talking, then we begin to intercede for people. There's a, there's a prayer. It's like intercessory prayer where we are praying, praying, praying together for people. These lasting, long conversations with God, spending time in his presence, spending real time with him and interceding for those that we love so that it might be written one day and God remembered Nathan and brought this person out. Don't you want to see that written? The person that you're praying for, the person that there's no hope, the person who's been tearing near sin, well, if you're going to combat and you want the sin out of their life and they've been tearing so much time with sin, then how do we com combat that? We tarry with the Lord. We tarry with the Lord. We spend as much time with God and we intercede for these people and we get on our knees. No more momentary prayers. No more just saying their name here and there. Interceding. Right, so, so we can see the day when God says, and God remembered your name. Put your name in there. God remembered you and brought out who? Who? Who do you want to be brought out? Who do you want to be delivered? What do you want to happen? Let's begin to intercede for those people and pray for those people and spend some time with God. And I want to start right now. Let's just close our eyes. 
We're preparing. We, we're gonna, I'm not just going to say, hey, prepare for the work God's going to do in your life. Now go home and do that assignment. We're going to do it together. We're going to prepare as a church for the work God is going to do so that we can mourn with each other and rejoice with each other, with each other when God moves. And we're going to intercede with each other. So I want you to think of that prayer, that person that, that has been tearing near sin. And it might be you. Let's intercede for that person, you and God. And I thought about having people up here. But we're never going to develop close relationships with God when we always feel like we need a mediator, when we need someone in between, someone who has this like, oh, this person has a great prayer life. God listens to them. God will listen to you. Tarry with him. Spend time with him. And I just want you to spend time with him now. It's just you and God. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.